0: All, right. All righty, you guys, let's get back to our seats. If you're joining us for the first time, either here or online, welcome. And uh, this is an interesting week. We're a part two of good, what's going to be a long series of messages on the book of Exodus. And so it's kind of a good timing, but it's also like you missed it by one, So you may need to go back or at least read Exodus 1 because we're going to be talking about Exodus 2 today. But let me give you a little, I want to give a little recap. Since we're, since we're jumping into Exodus, um, we have some resources on our website that I brought up last week and some of the things, but I want just to draw some attention to this. We will not do this every week, but since we're just the second weekend, I want to go through these again just so everybody has heard what I'm thinking because sometimes the link on a website doesn't exactly explain it. But... What we have on our website is some buttons that you can click on that will take you to things. The first thing is the Bible Project, which is these short, condensed videos. There's two of them that kind of give you a big picture overview. They do these really cool videos where they kind of teach and draw at the same time. And then when they're done, there's like a poster that kind of lays out the whole storyline. But they're really good at getting the meaning in there, but also getting it in a picture way that you can kind of really grasp the big picture parts of what's going on. And uh, they even have the Bible Project has a class. Kevin had showed me this thing that there's like you can go in and sign up, and there's an app and stuff, and you can actually take a pretty extensive Exodus class that they offer um, free. I mean, it's kind of amazing resources that are out there these days that are just free. Um, another resource we have on there that's uh, a oh, I don't, I guess I didn't have this on there. There's a link to a teaching series on the Book of Exodus by a guy named David Pawson, who's a teacher who a lot of us have learned a lot from and uh he just has it's kind of like his church i guess did this probably back in the 80s or something i was i was listening to some of them i can't judge exactly when it was because i haven't 70s is that when this is from wow okay yeah so he's british and it's in the 70s so i I missed some of the pop culture there you know anyway but yeah the, the, the bible hasn't changed so it's good stuff i would recommend you checking that out if you're just going to like going for a drive or something, and you want something to listen to, I would pull up. This is David Paulson's teachings. They're great. Also, we have some books on there, and I want to explain to you why I have these books on here just really briefly. The first one is called Home of God by Miroslav Volf and a guy, Ryan Mac- Mac- mcnally Linz. and this is a brand new book. I read it, and what they're doing in this book is looking at the whole story of the Bible or the whole story of God and humanity, which we see starting in Genesis and we see ending in Revelation and the last part where it says, and now God's home is with his people. You see, this is the end of the whole book. And then he's used. And so they look at the book of Exodus primarily hint, hint, and then the gospel of John and then the book of Revelation. And they're drawing out these kind of, again, like the Bible project, 10,000 foot picture parallels of seeing like this is what god is doing he wants to live with people he wants to redeem humanity he wants to be with and they talk about this message of home and to help you see the story of what exodus is laying out and you know the whole biblical picture how it all fits together there are a couple points in this book where they dabble into kind of christian universalism which Probably not the best, but at the same time, the whole pick—the book is really good. If you don't know what that word means, don't worry about it. Just read it. It's a helpful book, um, and I, I highly recommend it. The next book is um, called Faith in the Wilderness, and we will credit Amazon for suggesting this to me, but I read it, and it's incredibly helpful. This is actually current teaching and testimonies from the underground church in China right now, meaning like during and post-COVID time frame. Like, so these people just kind of arranged this book and presented it. And it's really helpful because they're talking about faith in God when things aren't around you going well, which is kind of our entire lives. So it's really helpful to have these guys' perspective on this stuff. Uh, kind of a warning like the other home from God. They're, they're all Reformed guys, so they dabble into that stuff a bit. And uh, it's kind of support, you know, And if you don't know what that word means, don't worry about it. Just read it. It's really good. kind of balances the other book. So we can feel comfortable with both of these. Another one that we need, I think, is when we go through the book of exodus there's a lot of times where god is doing things and it's not just like you know yeah i thought about it differently after that you know it wasn't it's like you know hey there's a stick and now it's a snake and now it's a stick again and we go that kind of stuff doesn't happen you see what i mean god actually affecting space time and materials And sometimes we like to read about these things like thousands of years ago, but we don't have a good grid for them in our culture and world now. Hence, this book. If you have a hard time getting your mind to accept that God does miracles even today, you should probably read this book. It's pretty extensive. It's long. I'll give you this, but it's well-documented things. What he's talking about in this is miracles that God has done now. Now. And they're all well-documented. And actually, there's a lot more. This is the, what they call, like, the every man's version or something. He wrote a book that was 1,200 pages, and it actually it's in two books because it's too long. I have not read that because I don't have time for that. But the, uh, they took kind of a, you need to make one of these for normal people. And they wrote this book. So this one's shorter. So I think it's only, like, I can't remember. It's still long. But if you need, it's good for it to be long because you need to kind of get this through your mind because this is, the way God does things in the world. It's not the way we're used to, though. But that's okay because the you get what I'm saying. All right, check that one out. And then the one last one, this is the short, potent. If you're only going to read one, read this one. Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliott. Talking again about God being with us in suffering or with us in life when things aren't going great, okay, which is most of our lives, right? God promises to be with us. He does not promise that we will not experience suffering. In fact, He promises that we will. Okay? But that's not a hopeless situation. It's very hopeful, but you have to get there. This book is the... If you're only going to read one, read this one. But the rest have a place. All right. Like I said, we won't go through that every week, but I just want to make sure that we get at least a baseline of what these books are and why they are on our website. So... Um, You know. All right. So, and a couple other real quick things about this engagement that we're doing. I want you to see the story of the Book of Exodus. We talked last week a little bit about how Exodus is written in such a certain way, and it carries with it a whole lot of things about God, or you call theology. You know, but if you engage with it primarily theologically, you can miss a lot of things. And it's also about a thing that happened. Like thousands of years ago, these things happened, which we'd call history. But if you engage with it only on a historical level or predominantly even on a historical level, you miss a lot of things. This story of the book of Exodus is written down starting in a certain place and ending in a certain place and including details that are put in a way to tell a story. That's the main way we need to engage with this, realizing that it does have a whole lot to say about God and who God is and who we are, which would be the theological weight. And it's about a thing that actually happened, okay? But it's arranged in such a way to tell a story. And we need to see the story of it. And then what I was inviting us to last week, which is one of what I want you to do the whole time, is to see yourself in this story, not because we're all that important, but because that's what it's supposed to do. We're supposed to see, like when you watch a movie and you really kind of go, like something comes alive in you, it's because something in you is resonating with what's happening there. You know what I mean? Like you weren't there when Braveheart happened, but you might watch it and be like, whoa. That that was kind of... I feel like the references that come to my mind in the moment are always like... (laughs) They're not old enough to be cool and retro or young enough to be like now. They're all like... I mean, we've seen Speed, but I've not watched it in a long time. (laughs) Keanu Reeves. All right, so anyway... So the recap of last week, uh, or yeah, sorry, the reason we need this is because I shared this quote from Leslie Newbegin, which is this, and this is kind of our overarching guide, that if, I can't see, okay, if the biblical story does not control our thinking, say about something like miracles or about the hope we have in our lives, if the biblical story does not control our thinking, then we will be swept into the story that the world tells about itself, and that's where most of us live. And so this is going to be a grand sweeping away of that story and God replacing it with his story. And so we want to engage with that. But in order for us to engage with that, we have to be, um, we have to be caught up to where we are. So the story starts with the Israelites in Egypt. They got there through Joseph and that whole story we went into last week. It was a good story. God, Joseph was second in command of Egypt, sent there by his brothers who were trying to get him killed or at least out of their lives. God changes all the circumstances which are horrible into him being the second in command of Pharaoh and saving everybody from a famine. And during the famine, Joseph's brothers come, and then their whole family is invited to come, and they're living there, like, hey, you know, what you're our guest. But then hundreds of years pass and everybody forgets. And then now the, the Egyptians are scared of the Hebrew people, so they start trying to oppress them, but God keeps blessing them. And they keep trying to and then finally the, the first chapter ends where Pharaoh says, Okay, we've tried to just make their lives miserable with slavery and stuff like that. Now we need to just kill them off. So any baby boy that's born, we need to just murder them. And I find this interesting that that's where our story starts today, as on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, because it's drawing out this, like, this is not a new problem. This is the kind of thing that's always been going on, you know. And I normally have Dalton or Andy Reed and Andy Actually, I'm going to stop really quick. We've got a, a handful of people in our church that are suffering from COVID again because it comes in these waves. So I just want to stop for a second and pray really quick just because we can kind of tend to forget these things. So Father, I just pray that you would bring healing to all those that are suffering right now with this disease. And we pray that you would... Uh, I pray against, as a person who's had it three times, any long-term, uh, any long-term symptoms or suffering in their body, Lord, I just pray against that. And I pray that they would recover quickly and they wouldn't spread it to those around them That are taking care of them, Lord, and we just pray for um, just kind of protection over all of us as well as we engage in this world where this is a real thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, I meant to do that earlier, but um, is anybody here willing to come up and read this? I just want to read this whole chapter. My normal reader people are not here. Yeah, come on. I have it here, so you can just read it. I don't read large chunks of text out loud well, and so for all of yours' benefit, I have other people do it. The one-eyed person will do it. As long as it works, we're good, yeah.
1: So I'm starting uh, reading all that? Yeah, and then down to the line right there. Okay. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch then she placed the child in it and put it among the reed, reeds along the bank of the nile his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him then pharaoh's daughter went down to the nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it she opened it and saw the baby She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were watched, were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zephora to, Zephora? Zipporah, to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them.
0: Amen. Thank you. So that's the, the what we're going to look at today. And so, like I, again, I want to, I want you to see yourself in the story. So I'm going to highlight points just briefly. I mean, I think this kind of tells itself pretty well, but I want to highlight a few things to help you see yourself and where you may fit in this. Like I said before, um, different times are going to relate to different things, and God can speak to you through that. So, this starts at after the end of chapter one, where the Pharaoh had said, "If you're reasoning like, what is the deal with the Nile River? What was going on?" As the Pharaoh said all right, any babies that are born that are boys, throw them in the river to die, to drown, which is horrible. And um, we we hear that, and we miss a piece of that the Nile River was a representation of a lot of what they worshipped as, as a deity. It was their life source and all this sort of stuff. So part of what he's doing in this isn't just killing off the people that he's worried about taking over the country. There's also even a dominance-type thing that's spiritual in nature, where he's saying, take these... Hebrew boys and kind of sacrifice them in a sense. There's a there's a component like that that's going on. And that's why, and we need to see that in the story because God, uh, Yahweh God, 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 is showing himself as dominant over all of these things. Even when people are thinking that they have the best of it. We have so much power. We have so much control. We can just throw these babies in the river and they'll drown. Um, God works a way out for this. And we get introduced into, and also it mirrors, this is the other thing, like when you start to look at these stories, this, and we'll talk about this at the very end, the situation that you see Moses being born into is very similar to the situation Jesus himself is born into, where there's, there's something happening, an oppression happening, and a deliverer coming. And like we talk about the principalities and the spiritual, like not always do they know what's going on, but they're like, we need to end this. And there's this wiping out of a gen- like they were like, we'll just wipe out this generation of people. And so God, neither time it works, which should give us hope that it doesn't work, okay? But it's quite destructive and quite evil. And so what we have is Moses' mom trying to hide the baby, but eventually she can't. And she knows she's supposed to throw the baby, Moses, into the river to drown. But instead, she kind of follows the rules by putting the baby in the Nile, but she's made a basket about it. you know, And the baby floats down. And of all the people in the whole world to find the baby, Pharaoh's own daughter finds it and is like, I'm going to adopt this child. And there's so much meaning in all of this that... And I actually see there's this kind of, this is a very sober subject, and it's a very sad and intense thing, and it's very, uh, it's almost overly, like our culture is overly saturated with some of these Bible stories to where you can't even see how, how you like, I, this idea of the baby in the basket is so universal, ubiquitous to our lives as even just in Christian culture or something like that, or just American culture, you know, that... You can't see how, how interestingly unique of an idea that is. You know, like, that's the solution? I'm going to make a basket that can float and put the baby in it and then kind of do what Pharaoh's saying, but then trust that God, like, I'm going to trust that God's going to work this thing out, this impossible situation. And the funny thing about how God does work it out is it's God has this sense of humor. And I know, like, I'm saying this is a very serious situation, but, like, the sense of humor starts to come out where, of all the people to find it, it's Pharaoh's own daughter. So the, of all the people that are going to break his command to kill the Hebrews, it's his own daughter. And not only not only is are they saving the child, now it's like adopted into their family, and Moses' own mom, because his sister hook, like does the hookup and everything, is now getting paid to care for her own child. I mean, like, and I don't think this is the kind of thing where everybody doesn't know each other. Like, I'm pretty sure they're like, well, that's, you know, yeah, that's your mom, but he's going to be my son now. And they're like, okay, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a lot going on there, That's but it's, it's, uh, it shows God's, I think, sense of humor in our lives where there's a moment, there's a day where Moses' mom knows, I can't do this. I can't hide this anymore. I have to let, just let go of it and let God work it out. And she does. And so there's that day she knows I'm going to get up today and I'm going to do this thing. This situation that's come this idea that's come to me. I don't think a lot of people were like, "Hey, you know what I'm going to do is make this boat basket thing and send my kid down and just see what happens." I don't think that was I think somehow this comes to her. She knows today I'm going to do this. Today it's all over. I've left. This is the only thing I have left. This is gone. And by maybe even that afternoon, not only is the baby back at her house, now she's getting paid and she did not have to hide anything. She's got like the highest authority like of all the people. you know. And so that should give us hope about the impossible situations in our lives. God can work them out because he has a plan. And it puts Moses in a really interesting place, which is illustrated by even his name. Because he's given a name by, Moses, by uh, Pharaoh's daughter, who's Egyptian. She gives him a name. It's like a normal Egyptian name. Like you've even heard, like, uh, it's like Mose or something like that in this ancient language, you know. But it also has a Hebrew meaning, like Moshe, like he was drawn out of water. And I think what you start to see in that is that Moses is now kind of torn between these two cultures. He's a Hebrew person, and everybody knows that, including Pharaoh's daughter. She says that this is one of those Hebrew babies. But now he's stuck in between the two. And they skip over his entire upbringing. Like, and now when he's older, you know, so he's been brought up in a different place than everybody else. He's not a slave like the other Hebrew people. He's brought up maybe learning all sorts of things about how to rule a country or something. He's he's the Pharaoh's grandson now, you know, bearing this Egyptian Hebrew name thing, you know. And it's an interesting place where he finds himself, and that's In some ways, you can see God's preparation in that, that this guy is going to be a person who rules people. You know what I mean? And so he's learning how to do that, again, from the very people that he's going to, you know, take the people from. So you see God, God has promised in the the scripture that we read last week in Genesis. about he's like, you know, your people are going to be in this foreign land, but don't worry. They're going to leave and plunder Egypt. We see this whole thing. And we'll get to that point in this story. But you start to see already that that's already happening. Like not only is Moses spared from Pharaoh's decree in a miraculous way, but Pharaoh himself is now it's paying for it, and it's in his family, and he's training the guy. So there's already a plundering that's happening, which is the kind of weird stuff that we don't make up. This is stuff God comes up with because you'd be like, I wouldn't have planned that one, you know. And so it gives us hope to open up our eyes because you just don't know. Moses' mom's role in this was to put the baby in the river and trust, God, are you more powerful than this Nile River God? Answer, yes. You see? But God is the one that worked it out. She didn't come up with a plan and figure something out. God did it. And he did it in a very surprising and odd way. But now Moses is kind of torn. He knows he's Hebrew. They all know he's Hebrew. But he's been trained Egyptian. He bears this mixed name or whatever, you know. And so he finds himself... Like that, you know. And uh, then you start to see this situation. Moses is, he is who he is. God has made him who he is, just like the rest of us are who we are. God makes you with a purpose. And that thing is in there from the beginning. You know, God has sent this, you know, he's, <laughs> and it finds its way out sometimes. Sometimes it's the way God wants it, sometimes it isn't. And Moses goes to see his own people. I see this as the tension. He's like, I, I need to see, I need to. Some of you have grown up in countries that you didn't, that you're not from, and you find yourself straddling two things. You know, you might be able to relate to some of this. You're like, I know I'm this, but I also know I'm this, but I also, and you might not know where you feel totally at home, right? And Moses goes out to see his people, and he sees an Egyptian person beating a Hebrew person, and it makes him mad. And so his solution is, I'll just kill the guy and bury him in the sand, which is super intense. I kind of call this God, Moses taking matters into his own hands because I th- what I see in this is him, he is a deliverer. He knows this oppression is wrong and it needs to stop. So the way he de- deals with it, he takes matters into his own hands and it kind of blows up in his face because he, not only does he kill a guy and tries to hide it, he tries to kill a guy and hide it, and not that the killing a guy's bad, I mean, but there's a lot of fighting that happens in this story, but the thing is he kills him and hides it. He tries to just he tries to do it in secret. Like I'm going to kill this guy off, maybe nobody'll notice. But there's a to kill a person, there's a lot of rage in that, you know what I mean? And I think it's built up from the hundreds of years of he's watched a lot of suffering in his life. I'm pretty sure of the people that he knows he's a part of, and he knows it's wrong, you know? He kills the guy and he tries to hide it. And I think he's like, "Okay, I don't know what he felt after that. That's, that's a weird moment. But then the next day, he sees two Hebrew people fighting. And he's like, guys, knock it off. What's going on with you guys? And they're like, oh, you think you're in charge of us? Which is a weird foreshadowing because eventually he is, you see? So they're laying that out in the story that way. But they say, are you going to kill me just like you killed the Egyptian? And he realizes, okay, what I tried to do in secret isn't a secret at all. And into the point that you hear that Pharaoh now wants to kill him. So he has to flee away. So now we see that Moses is torn in a way through this story. He's saved, but now he's torn between two cultures. And in a way, he knows who he is, but he knows who he's been trained to be. This is weird stuff. And now he's away from both of those things in a foreign land by himself. But he's still who God made him to be because then he comes up to this well and these girls come to. Um, water their flocks, and and, and then these shepherds show up, and they're like jerks and scare them away. And Moses, again, he's like, this is wrong. And so he steps up and does something. And I think if this was like a movie, the shepherds are just kind of jerks, like I think like Biff Tannen or something like that from Back to the Future, these kind of guys, you know, they show up to like be bullies to everyone. And, you know, Moses steps up and gives them a piece of their own medicine or something like that. And they leave, and then Moses helps Helps the girls get the water they need and everything. And if this was a movie, they would put in there that he likes one of them, you know, like one of them more than the others, you know, because that has to be part of the, you know. So he would, you know, he helps all seven of them, but he likes one of them, you know. And then they go back to their dad, and he's like, wait a minute, how did you all finish? Like, normally this takes longer. And they're like, well, a guy helped us. And he's like, did you leave him there? (laughs) Like, bring him over. And then he, he comes in, and then there's lots of time condensed there, because he gets married to one of them, the one he likes, I'm sure. And then they have a son. But then they name the son, something that I think indicates exactly where Moses' heart is still. They name him Gershon because he's become a foreigner in a foreign land. So Moses is still torn, and he knows his heart is still with the Israelites. Moses knows this isn't where I'm supposed to be. There's still lots of people suffering, and that's where his heart is. And he even names his son that because he knows this is not where I'm supposed to be right now. And the end of this chapter, Kayla, you can come on up here. The end of this chapter reveals that God's heart is exactly where Moses' heart is, and that sets up what's about to happen, that, yeah, you got away. Yeah, you know, you survived. You're fine. You got a girl. Everything's good. But something's wrong. Like, this isn't what I was made to do. And this is not, again, like, the Bible does funny things because sometimes, like, when you read one of the Gospels, it's like, huh. All of these pages happened in, like, three days, and then all this other stuff was, like, 30 years. There's times when you read through, like, Judges and stuff, and it's, like, several generations passed. And, and you're like, wait a minute, how many, was that, like, 80 years that you just skipped? You know, there's stuff like that. So you start to see that Moses is not... Like we read earlier, when Moses was older, so that just skipped over like 20 years or something like that. But you start to see he spends a lot of time here in Midian shepherding and stuff. And I have to think that the whole time he knows, this is not what I was made for. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. But I have no idea what to do about it. But his heart is with the Israelites that are suffering. And God's heart is with the Israelites that are suffering. You see this at the end, starting in verse um, 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. That's Pharaoh. That Pharaoh died. There's another Pharaoh coming along. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the israelites and was concerned about them and what you could hear in that is god hears everyone that cries out it's interesting the book of numbers talks about they say like we cried out to god says this in there you know when the hebrew people are talking about this situation we cried out to god and he delivered us it's true they did it even says here that their cries went out up to god but doesn't specifically say that they cried to god which is interesting And I don't think that that means they didn't cry to God. I think they did. But I think it's trying to be more inclusive that we can hear is that God sees and hears all groaning, all suffering, all crying, all of that. And He cares about all of it. And He says, God looked and was concerned about them. And that's true for anyone that's groaning and suffering in the ways of this world. Because Egypt in this story isn't just an ancient empire thousands of years ago. It represents the ways of this, the empires of all the empires of this world or the ways of this world. When we just prayed the Lord's prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, is against what the, the world's kingdom and the world's way of doing things, which is represented here by Egypt. It's evil, it's wrong, it's oppressive, it's harmful, it, it, it's destructive to people and to things. And what God hears, everyone that's crying out, and he's concerned about it, and the whole story of the Bible is that he does provide a way out. The story of Exodus, and the reason it starts and ends where it does, is it's about, you can even hear it in the, the word etymology, exit. It's about leaving a place. Exiting a place. This is what it's representing. And Jesus, and God, all of this is ultimately leading to God coming as a human being in Jesus Christ to save humanity. And he's saying, There is a way out. There's a way out of all of this stuff. There's a way out of, like, you know, the world has a way of telling you who you are. You know, in Egypt, you're in Israel, like, you are a slave. You are nothing. You should be killed. If you're a boy, you should have been thrown into a river and died. You have no purpose that's good. You're n- all of this. This is how the world talks to every single one of us. This is the evil that's in the world. And God cares about that. And he says, no, it's not true. And I have a way out. And he's, de- and he's dealing. So you see that God is giving us an exodus out of oppression and an exodus to be with him. And we call that salvation. And you see this. The Bible wasn't like, I guess this is important. Let's put it together. Y'all should probably read it. This is all like done by really smart people, led by the Holy Spirit, okay? And. The whole time this story of Exodus is remembered because an ultimate Exodus has yet to happen. And it gives us hope for the ultimate Exodus that God brings to all of us. You see in the prophet Hosea, which came a long time afterwards when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But then you look into Matthew, which is now talking about Jesus Christ himself, Joseph, his father. It starts Matthew 15, 13 through 15. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, Jesus' de- earthly dad, in a dream. Get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. This is the same thing that was happening when we just talked about with Moses. Herod finds out that the Hebrew people, he's like in charge of the area where um, Israel is at the time. He finds out there's supposed to be some king of the Jews born and like maybe he's born now and they know he's supposed to be in Bethlehem and he's like I can't figure out what's going on so let's just kill everybody. That way if there's anyone that's supposed to be born, I'll show the superiority of this the the cult the human the, the empires of the world like we were talking about. Again, the same Egyptians, he's like I'll show how author, how much power I have by just wiping them all out. We'll wipe them all out and then I don't have to worry about this king of the Jews thing anymore because it threatens me. But God knows this. God has a plan. God tells Joseph, He's like, hey, this is an interesting one because God saves Jesus from this. Man, He doesn't save everyone. Stay there until I tell you For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So so Joseph got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, which we just read. Out of Egypt I called you my son. And the rescue of Moses from the river reminds us that like baby Moses, we can't save ourselves. And God delivers the Israelites from bondage. Eventually, we haven't gotten to that part in the story, but I have to kind of flash forward a little bit. He brings them out under the blood of the Lamb and delivers them from the bondage of sin. And God delivers us from the bondage of sin through the blood of His Son. And God is calling us out of Egypt, out of the oppression of this world, and He's given us His way by His Son Jesus, who came as God as a man and died on the cross and rose again from dead, showing he had victory over all this. And John 3.16 tells us this in the most famous book of the Bible. For God, loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is offering us the exodus from all of the evil things of this world. All of them. But it requires us to... Like we'll get to, like to apply the blood over the door of our lives. Like we'll get to... I'm, I'm kind of flashing too much forward. The main thing I need you to hear today is this. At the end of Exodus 2, God looked at the Israelites and was concerned about them. God sees the suffering in our lives. God has always seen it. God always knew it was coming. God knew this was coming specifically to them, and He knew He had a way out to deal with it. And it was, it was unusual... And it did change things. It changed dramatic things. And we haven't even gotten to the dramatic things yet. But it requires a faithfulness to trust and walk with him and a surrender to him that you are now in charge, not us. And that, in the spiritual sense, we call it death to ourselves to receive the eternal life that he's offering because he loved the world and gave his only Son. So, same with me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, Kayla's going to lead us in a song. We have people on a, we've started our new prayer team. If you need prayer for anything in your life, um, there will be people up here to pray for you by each one of these front doors as we close the service after this song. You can come up anytime um, as soon as they're here. They'll pray for you. These are gifted people, they hear from the Lord, and um, we all need prayer. So, I encourage you to take advantage of that. And, um, and if God is dealing with you with anything, let him deal with you, because he cares about what's going on in your life. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see um, things the way that you see them, to see um, your goodness and your deliverance and your mercy. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the severity of the evil of this world that oppresses us and all those around us. And I pray that you would help us to... Lord, I just pray for your deliverance, your, ex, you, you, your exodus for each and every one of us here in this place, that we would live new eternal life through the blood of your Son. And Jesus, Lord, we, we pray that you would come and fill this place with your presence and bring freedom in Jesus' name. Amen.